Thank you for joining us today for the Oakwood Baptist Church podcast. This episode was recorded at the Home Builder Sunday School class, which Pastor Jones teaches at Oakwood. The lessons are taken from the book, The Ministry of Marriage, by Jim Benny. Turn your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. We've been talking about our greatest ministry is our marriage. And so let's work at serving one another. And we talked over the last couple of weeks about finding out what the needs of our spouse are, and then we can meet those needs, and that's our greatest ministry. Uh, again, I recommend that book to you, His Needs, Her Needs. If you're, if you're a reader and you'd like to read something that will enhance your marriage, if you haven't read that, I would recommend that. I think it's a, it's a good read. Um, but uh, we talked about how Ephesians 5 really kind of demonstrates to us what the greatest need is by, by inference in that verse or in those passages. So husbands love your wives, so she has a great need to be loved. So let's make sure that we meet that need. Wives submit to your husbands. Uh, he has a great need to be respected. So make sure that we're working on that. And so if we can do that, it's just going to enhance and help our relationship. Now I want to just get into another almost mini series within our series. And that's we're going to try and tackle um, some myths, uh, common myths in marriage. Uh, you know, we've talked before how a lot of people come into marriage and they come in with certain expectations or certain ideas. And remember, ideas have consequences, don't they? And so um, they come into marriage with these ideas, but a lot of times our ideas are, are not accurate. And so we want to, um, you know, break down these myths and take a look at them today. So let's, let's read our text uh, as we use it as a launching pad this morning. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 it says this, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Remember, Paul loved that expression, in Christ. And he doesn't just say walk uh, with Christ, but walk ye in him. And it goes along with what uh, I've been studying for next Wednesday night, abide in me as I abide in you. Paul's kind of given that the principle there, walk in him, stay connected to him. And I love verse 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught abounding therein with thanksgiving. So, man, we talk about our teenagers. Isn't that what, I mean, I know this is what I want for your children, whether they're grade school children, teenagers. Man, I want them to be rooted and built up in the faith. We don't want a shallow faith. We want them to have some substance, some roots, some stability to them. Why? Because we, we know, we, we see a lot of teenagers, they grow up, they have a good time, but when they graduate, they got no roots. They got, they got nothing holding them in. And uh, man, we need, the Bible's telling us as adults, as children, we need to be root and built up in him and established in the faith. Here's why. Verse 8, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of man, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Okay, I want to say a few things about that. Uh, through philosophy. We'll talk about that a little bit this morning was Paul was on Mars Hill and he was dealing with intellectuals and philosophers. Now listen, I, I don't want to get the idea there is Paul, that Paul's against thinking. And I know that's what philosophy is a lot about. I mean, unfortunately, you guys think a little too much sometimes. And philosophers are really good at a asking questions and not providing answers. And so I don't want you to get the idea that, that bi biblical Christianity is against intellectualism. But listen, there is a lot of philosophy that is just false. It's, it's, it's weird thinking. All right? Then he talks about vain deceit. Of course, there are a lot of lies in this world. Satan's the father of lies. He, he's also, pride was his downfall. 
the tradition of men. I want to make a clarification there. I don't think tradition is wrong. Tradition is not a bad word. And some people in Christianity are making out as anything traditional, anything of tradition is wrong, it's bad. That is not true. There are other verses in the Bible that talk about holding fast traditions that have been established. God started a lot of traditions. I mean, the Passover was a tradition. The Lord's Supper we could call as a tradition. So we, we, we have to be careful about that. But what he's saying there is we cannot have faith that's built on tradition itself. It must be built on Christ. Okay? And that has been a problem. That's why so many people are attacking tradition. Because we know that there are some churches that have just been traditional for the sake of their traditions. And bless God, that's the way we've always done it. And that's not good enough. That's not going to create roots that bear fruit, right? Then here's the emphasis. Rudiments of the world. You say, what is a rudiment of the world? It's basically the ideas and teachings and the philosophies of, of the world in which we live. And we know what the world is, the world system, right? The world system is something that's either actively hostile or passively harmful to God and His cause. And so we can't think like the world. We have to think differently than the world. So I'm using that as a thought to say this. A lot of Christians, unfortunately, think about their marriage relationship the way the world is thinking about it. And then we wonder why the results that we're experiencing and the fruit that we're producing is no different. And so the Bible tells us to be careful about that. So we're going to try and break up some of these myths. Let me pray and I'll jump into the lesson. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you'd help us today, that you'd equip us, that you would continue to bless and use our ministry. And I pray that we would be rooted and built up in Christ. And uh, that we would beware of the rudiments of the world and that you would help us. And I'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Mindy and I have been married for almost 25 years now. And I think we're, you know, of the age that we can say something like this. And I think regardless of what your age or your, your marriage experience is, I think we've all could, could relate to this statement. If I had known then what I know now. I mean, I think we could all say, hey, when I was 21, I was 21 when I got married. So, you know, if I, if I knew then what I know now, there would have been a lot of things that were different right there. But, you know, of course, I had to learn and grow by experience the way we do. And, and you can't fast track experience. You know, it just kind of has to happen to you in some ways. And it just reminds us of a reality. And that is that we cannot go back in the past and start over with new knowledge. We, we just can't. And so you can't change your past. But while you can't change your past, you can change today, which will have an effect on our future by learning what we need for these times. And that's a great principle for marriage for us all to remember. So let's let everybody remember. Let's, let's all let this principle sink in right now. Marriage, uh, th this principle for marriage is this. What's done is done. Like, let's, let's remember that. What's done is done. Um, you, you can't go back and change yesterday. The only thing you can change is today and tomorrow. That, that, that's it. And I think some people bemoan the fact that, hey, I, you know, the way our marriage started wasn't exactly right, or hey, maybe, maybe, maybe you're on your second marriage or something like that. Listen, again, I just want everybody to understand what's done is done. The only thing you can change is today and tomorrow. And, and that's, a, that's a good principle to remember. But if we say, hey, listen, if I had known then what I know now, things would be different. Okay, well then use the knowledge you have now to make an impact on that. So part of this learning for the future requires that you adjust your focus. Now, in our age, people get most of their notions from love and marriage, I would say maybe from music 
or TV or uh, movies or I think today now we have to throw in there the internet. I mean, man, there a lot of us are getting our ideas from something we saw on the internet or we read on the internet. And I and you, did you notice all of these things that I'm mentioning uh, aren't coming from God? So therefore, it's no wonder how much confusion surrounds the topic of love and marriage. You see, think about the world itself. You have the world that is packaged. What the, what the world has done is it's taken error and it's packaged it in beautiful wrapping. And, and, and not only that, the way it's wrapped it, it has universal appeal. I mean, everybody everywhere, because of our sin nature, is attracted to what the world is presenting. So what happens is what it's packaging, if, if we condense it down to something very generic, it offers instant gratification. Uh, it avoids, even denies, any consequences whatsoever from indulgence. You, you know, think about what our world says. You know, like, look, eat whatever you want, as much as you want, doesn't matter. Uh, sleep with whoever you want, be with whoever you want, do whatever you want. And, and it has no thought whatsoever of the consequences of tomorrow. Our, our world is, I was preaching to the teenagers yesterday here, and that was one of my thoughts. I was talking about Jacob and Esau, and how Esau traded his birthright, and he gave no thought about the future of what he was doing. What he wanted is he was hungry right then and he needed some food right then. See, he was thinking like the world, wasn't he? And I, I was thinking, talking to our teenagers. Listen, how many teenagers, man, they'll, t they'll tattoo something on their neck and, and then, and, because that's cool when you're 16. And then someday when they're 30, they want to get a job at some, some executive place and people are looking at them going, what? Like, I, you got to think ahead, man. But, but a lot of times the world doesn't do that. Okay, so, so what, it, what it's doing is it's denying, it's saying, hey, instant gratification, denying consequence from indulgent. Now, on the other side, you have the truth. What does the truth do? The truth is not packaged like the world does. The truth is plain. I mean, it's just very plain. And, and really, it's, it's unattractive. Here's what the truth is saying. It's saying, listen, I'm promoting not gratification, I'm promoting sacrifice. The truth offers a penalty for sin instead of pleasure from sin. It promises more happiness really in the afterlife than it does in the present life. You understand truth is very plain, very straightforward, and it's not as attractive to our sin nature. So how are we going to win this battle against something that's beautifully attractive. I think T.S. Eliot said that, that the world has all of the premier advertising space, and it's true, it really does. Um, but, but how are we going to deal with that? Well, the Bible's strategy is pretty simple, and yet it's effective. Here's what the Bible basically teaches us. It says, first of all, you've got to identify the lie. I mean, that's what Paul's talking about here, right? Beware of the rudiments of the world. You've got to identify the lie. Then you have to reject the lie, then you have to replace the lie with the truth. I mean, that's, that's a pretty simple strategy, but it's a very effective strategy. In fact, Jeremiah 1.10 says this, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. Here's what he wants Jeremiah to do. To root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Now that's interesting to me. He says four times in a negative fashion, you've got to pull down, destroy, root out, get rid of. He, he's talking four times, and then in two times he says build and plant. Now that's interesting to me. 
He's, God was preparing Jeremiah for ministry. And what Jeremiah had to do is he had to undo some things before he could ever build some things. So he's saying before you can build something or plant something worthwhile and fruitful, there's some prep work that you're going to have to do about, maybe we would call it in construction, demolition. I mean, you're going to have to tear this down before you can build this up. I mean, that's, that's pretty common, pretty understandable. So here's my question for you today. Where do your beliefs about love and marriage originate? Because remember, that's what culture is. It's kind of the environment that we find ourselves in. We, we can't really control everything that our culture thinks. Correct? I mean, this is kind of forced upon us. This is where we live. This is where we are. It's like a fish in the water. But at the same time, unlike a fish in the water, we, we can have some more influence in, in our world and in our culture and the way we think and, and, and what we do and those kind of things. And so... Where do your beliefs about love and marriage originate? Is it coming from the world in which we live in, or are we getting them from the Word of God? Uh, for example, I'll give you uh, some thoughts about our world. How about this idea of falling in love? In fact, I would dare say that we, as Christians, use that terminology. Now, again, I'm not saying, shame on you, you should never say that. I'm just saying, think about what we're describing when we say, well, I just really have fallen in love here. I mean, if you think about what you're saying is it's just kind of happened effortlessly. You know, I, I, what's, what's the old Elvis song? I can't help falling in love with you, right? I mean, I couldn't help it. It just happened. There was no effort behind it. It happened to me. I have no control over it. You know, the heart wants what the heart wants, right? You know, I mean, this is kind of the idea of our world. But, you know, the Bible says something different. The Bible never really talks about falling in love. The Bible talks about growing in love. Now you see the distinct difference in that. The difference is growing in love requires some effort, some work, some time, some energy. Um, that's what 1 Thessalonians 3.12 says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Um, that's that's kind of the idea there. So again, I, I'm not saying, I, I understand what somebody says if they've fallen in love with somebody. I think I've fallen in love. I'm just thinking, think about what the world is, is actually teaching. And think about the ideas of, that the culture uh, uh, influences and affects us with. So the reason I say that is because if the source of our thinking is wrong, then the teaching itself will be wrong. So with this in mind, we're going to examine some common myths about marriage. We'll only do one today. We'll do some moving forward. But we're kind of doing, um, I, I'm not much of a TV watcher unless it's sports. I just, I just really don't hardly watch any TV, um, but I've heard of this show. I've never watched it. Anybody ever watch the, the reality show Mythbusters? Anybody ever watch that? Okay, so it was like a show. Basically, they would take some idea like, like you, you know how if it's raining outside, uh, what is our tendency to run from our vehicle to the house because it's raining, so we don't want to get very wet. So they would study do you really get less wet by running in the rain or do you get less wet by just walking slowly in the rain? I can't remember what the answer was to that. I think if you walk slower, but I don't, I don't remember. Uh, uh, yeah, you have to go watch the show, I guess. I, I've never watched it. I've never busted any myths. But we're going to try and bust the myths of marriage here over the next couple of weeks. All right. So number one, here's the first myth that I want to talk to you about. The honeymoon will last forever. I want to talk about that. The honeymoon will last forever. Is it true that love will never wane and love will never die? Is that true? 
I know that if you ask that question, there was a survey of a thousand college students uh, surveyed on a college campus. This was a Christian college, by the way. And they said 56% said that love will never wane and love will never die. 56 said that. But the Bible says this. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 12, the words of Jesus, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So love can wane and love can die. In fact, understand, I'll say a little bit in the morning sermon about this. The second law of thermodynamics says that things, things are, have a tendency to go through atrophy, right? They, they have a thing from get from good to bad, right? If you do not maintain and take care of, they wear out. I mean, like your car, your house, your health, those kind of things. You, you have to take care of them. The natural order isn't to get better, it's to get worse. Another natural order is that life goes through seasons. And I think that if we could just get this this morning, this is going to help all of us. Because I think so many people get in a, in a rough season and they panic. But listen, life is seasonal. Uh, the Bible clearly tells us that. Some of, some of you know, Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there is a season. To everything. God made things that way. Uh, I don't care what it is. Think about your work. Whatever it is you do. I don't care what, what it is you do for a living. I guarantee you there are seasons in your work. There are ebbs and flows. I mean, I was talking to Jacob before, before the day. He, he does heating and cooling. Well, when it's 97 degrees outside, he told me he's been busy. Duh. How many of you have figured that out? Your air conditioner never breaks when it's 75 degrees outside. It breaks when it's 97 degrees outside. All right, but there's going to be times when, when it's, you know, busy, when it's not. I don't care what you do. In, in my, my world, there's ebbs and flows of ministry. Now, I feel like I stay pretty busy all the time, but I'm telling you, there are some days that it's just like, eee. and then there are other days like, okay, okay. I sent a meme to my wife not too long ago. This is adulthood is just telling ourselves that it'll be, it'll be uh, not as busy next week. And you do this over and over and over until you die. Uh, and, and that's kind of true. To everything there is a season. Just kind of think about your own Christianity. Your, your own Christianity is, think about it. You got saved. And I don't care if you were six when you got saved like I was, or you're 26 when you got saved, 36 when you got saved. When you get saved, there's something invigorating and exciting and happy and thrilling. Hey, I got saved. But listen, here's what happens in time. Sin will be a part of your life until we're sanctified completely by God. And so we're going to have seasons where we're struggling, where we're battling this sin and these habits in our life. And listen, here's what happens. You, you've heard me say this, and I haven't said it in a while. When you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. And you have to understand that there are consequences to sin. And when you sin, one of the consequences is guilt. And when you're struggling with guilt, you, you, don't, you don't have the euphoria of, hey, I just got saved. You have the euphoria of, of man, Man, am I, am I even saved and I keep doing this? Man, why am I even trying? Because, man, I mean, I'm going to get nowhere. You, you, you understand that that, that that weighs on somebody over time. But then what happens is, is when you live in that slog for a while, here's, here's what we, we commonly refer to as Christianity. Then you start backsliding. 
You just start creating a habit of sin. And it doesn't mean you're not saved, but you just are in a backslidden state. You're not close to the Lord. You're not right with the Lord. And you're, you're kind of in this perpetual state. But here's what can happen is a lot of people, get, we, we call it this, get right with God or have experienced revival. And then what happens in revival? Boy, our spiritual things are invigorated again. And listen, I don't care who you are. This happens to all of us on, on some scale on a very regular basis. I got saved once when I was six, but all of these years that I've been saved, coming on really 40 years now I've been saved, is, is I've experienced this times of so excited about being a Christian and living for the Lord and excited about the Word and fired up about all of that. And then after some time, it, it just kind of wanes a little bit and I struggle with some things and then I experience guilt and then I'm kind of kind of just in a like pukey state for a little while and then I kind of man get my walk back with the Lord and revive and excited. It's seasonal. Think about it in, in parenting. I've entered into an adult stage with my children, as you know. And, and I was just sharing with Ezra Green the, the other day. We were just talking about it. He was, Titus turned one. And so he was excited about this, just the stage of his kids. And he was telling me some story that he got up super early in the morning. It was about six in the morning. And Evelyn was already awake. And she was just in her room, just ch -ch 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 chattering away. And she had a, a book. And she was reading it to Titus. And he's in his crib, hanging over the edge, listening to what she was saying. And she was saying a bunch of nonsense. And he was just at the door, peeking in. And, you know, I remember those days. Uh, that season in my, my life is past, uh, but I remember uh, as a dad uh, coming home with a, an infant. And, and, and every dad's a little different, but most of us dads can relate to this. I didn't know what to do with infants. <laughs> They're there, you know. Uh, but buddy, I remember when they, about six months, they started perking up and sitting up and they, they, they started developing personality and I could play with them and and then, you know, I just really enjoyed when the, the, the season when they were like two to five. I really love that stage because they're, they're, they're really cute. And, and I think God did that intentionally so you wouldn't murder them. And so they're really, really cute. And they, they say funny things and everything's an adventure for them. They're just like everything's so exciting. They're learning and growing. I, I really enjoy that. But then the, the elementary age is, 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 is exciting too, man. I mean, they're, they're really starting to develop and, and, and grow. And then I know some people say the teen years, like, oh, like we had five teenagers at, at the same time for a period of, of time. For about four months, they were all teenagers from 19 to 13. And we would tell people that and they would go, oh, how are you making it? I thought that I think and thought the teen years were so much fun. We, we have thoroughly enjoyed every stage. And, every stage. and so people say, how are you doing now that your kids are adults? Hey, I, I like it. My uh, insurance bill isn't as high. My grocery bill isn't as high. They still come over and hang out sometime. And I mean, life is good. It is good. Every season is good. But see, the problem is, is some people, oh, I miss my babies. And say, hey, look, just enjoy each season and life is seasonal, right? Uh, we, we could talk that way. Well, understand marriage is the same way. I got five minutes. I don't think I'm going to get through it all. Let me just throw out the four seasons that I've got of marriage. And then I'll start talking to them about them as much as I have time. And then we'll pick them up. Because remember, what we're doing here, it's, it's not a sprint. I don't have to get the lesson done. I'm just trying to teach and impart. But here are the four seasons. Romance. All right, and I'll talk more about that. But everybody recognizes that one. And everybody likes that one. 
I mean, some guys in here don't like it as much, you know, but, but every, I think we do deep down. But uh, romance, the second one is reality. All right. Well, you're going to get hit with reality somewhere along the way. And then third is regression. And then fourth is rekindling. Okay, I'll say those again. Romance, reality, regression, rekindling. All right, let's talk about romance. This is obviously the most recognizable when we're talking about love and marriage. This is the most recognizable. It's the most popular. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of goofiness that goes on with romance as it's emphasized. I was thinking of that old rock and roll song, Hello, I Love You, Won't You Tell Me Your Name? You know, I mean, like, we just have a lot of goofy ideas about how, like, we just can't help falling in love. And everybody gets a lot of em emphasis on this. And, and let's be honest, this is a good stage. I mean, it's the magnet that brings two people together. Uh, but you understand it has a downside as well. Because the downside to this season is that it's, it's high on emotion, really high on emotion. And we know that emotions uh, can be problematic. They're, listen, we can't ignore emotions. God created us with emotions. The Bible talks about how God's nature has emotions. So, so I don't ever want you to think that when we talk about this stuff that we should become robotic and mechanical and absolutely devoid of emotion. That's not how God created us. However, you, you understand that the emotions, they cannot make up for a lack of discipline. They can't make up for a lack of training. They can't make up for a lack of character. Uh, emotions, man, they're so ebb and flow. They're so volatile that you can't build everything on it. It's like, I heard the story, it's a, this is a true story. Years ago, a high school football team in Oklahoma, uh, they, they kept losing to their rival over and over and over. They just kept losing to their rival. And some wealthy oil guy uh, told these, this, this team that if they would beat the rival, he would buy everyone on the team a brand new Ford. And he had the money to do it. And so, I mean, these guys, they, like their practice levels stepped, I mean, they were practicing like crazy. They were fired. And, and the, the night before the game, I mean, they're in the locker room and the coach is like, he is fired up and he's yelling and screaming. The boys are like, ah! I mean, they're like, like, like just fired up. They, they have visions of Ford's trucks and, I mean, beating their rival. And they ran out of the tunnel. I mean, as fired up for any game as they've ever been. And they lost 38 to nothing. <laughs> I mean, your emotions are only going to take you so far, right? Uh, I mean, when somebody enters marriage on feelings alone, your relationship is only as secure as your emotions are. They're only as secure as your feelings are. And that's kind of a dangerous place to live. And again, I'm not trying to say that your marriage should be robotic. I love you, there. You know, like, 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 come on, I understand that there's, there's emotions and there's feelings that are involved in, in our relationship. And this is a, a fun season. And, and it doesn't just happen when you start dating and you decide to get married. It can happen all throughout your married life. But you have to be realistic enough to know that it is going to ebb and flow. Okay? So we'll, we'll talk about that and then we'll talk about reality because you, it's like that football team. Sometimes reality hits you right in the mouth. And we need to be aware of it. All right? I appreciate it so much. And... Uh, Thanks for being in Sunday school this morning. You are dismissed.